Hello and welcome to Hey Remember the 80s. I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. I remember we're not professional music critics or what's the other thing? Podcasters. (laughs) We're just crashers getting bombed talking about 80s music, so give us a break. Yeah. Hi, Carrie. Hey, Joe. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome to you. And let's welcome our new listeners. If there's any out there, hello. And hello to our loyal listeners. Producer Dave found some in Wooddale, Illinois, Belleville, Ontario, Canada, and San Pablo, the Philippines. Very cool. Everyone can keep up with us on our Facebook at facebook.com slash HRT80S, or we have a Twitter at HRT80S. We had a tweet recently, Carrie, I believe. Listener Alan commented on our fruits and vegetables episode, our four-year anniversary. Yes. He said that he thought we were a little hard on Strawberry Switchblade, and the album was produced by a member of The Cure, am I right? Um, Boris Williams from The Cure played drums on the album. I knew it was something, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I said, you know what, maybe we were, based on that one song, I'm going to go back and listen to more Strawberry Switchblade. I'm going to do that. Okay. I will say this in response to Alan. When I was listening to um, Since Yesterday on Apple Music and it went to the next song, I don't think it was the next song on the album. I think I was listening some way. Anyways, the next Strawberry Switchblade song that came up and played a couple times, I enjoyed that one. Okay. That's a start. Yeah. They've got some good stuff, but just not that song. (laughs) All of that's to say we love engagements on social media. So if you have a comment, a question, if you think we were too mean about somebody, <laughs> let us know. We want to know. Yep. We're open to criticism. <laughs> Constructive criticism. Joe, we've got one tidbit. And this is the journey I went on this week, which I told Joe. There's a new movie that came out on Netflix called Your Place or Mine. It's a romantic comedy starring Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher. I don't really care for either of those people, but I said I'm kind of in the bag for any romantic comedy. If there's a new romantic comedy, I'm more likely than not to watch it at some point. But then when it actually came out and I read a review... It was a really bad review that basically said this movie is just really bad. They don't have any chemistry. There's nothing going on with it, blah, blah, blah. So then I was like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time on this. And then (laughs) the next day, a new article came out that said essentially that the whole soundtrack of the movie is music by The Cars. And that Ashton Kutcher's character is really into the cars and like these cars songs tell his emotional journey or something like that. And then I was like, okay, well, now I'm back in the bag for this movie because that sounds kind of interesting to me at the very least. Want to watch a movie that has at least 10 cars songs, I guess. That's nuts, right? That's a lot. I think that's a cute twist. Yeah, interested to see, just because I'm not expecting the movie to be good, but I am interested to see how the car songs are used and which ones they used. And I think a fun little way to get me to watch the movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, Carrie, I can speak on behalf of the other 99.9% of the population who does like Reese Witherspoon. (laughs) I'm looking forward to this movie still. Okay. I have not yet watched it. It just came out at the time of recording. It's been out for two days. I'm behind on all my shows. Mm -hmm. So I don't know when I will watch it. 
I was tipped off by the Cars music when I saw a post on Facebook from Cars guitarist Elliot Easton. Okay. He said, this is a new Netflix film that features the music of the Cars. It's as if our music is another character in the movie. Interesting. And then he goes on to say he and his wife were invited to the premiere and after party, and he got to meet all of the principal actors and the director and writer. So they're treating the members of the Cars right. I'm just hopeful that, yes, this introduces at least one new person to the cars and gets another person into the cars, and then that's fine. Then this movie will have done its job, I guess. It's kind of like when I saw Jawbreaker for the first time. I was like, these Cars songs, I can't remember which one was in that movie. Carrie, it's been like 20 or 30 years. Okay. (laughs) But I remember being like, I like this song. Who is this? And it was the Cars. It's always fun to discover new music. And like I said, I hope that a lot of people that watch Your Place or Mine and aren't disappointed by the movie itself get into the cars. (laughs) So there you go. Well, maybe in a future episode, if we actually watch this movie, we can discuss it a little further. Yeah, yeah. We're moving on, though, Carrie, to the main event. Are you ready? I think so. Do you have your shot glasses all lined up? (laughs) We're going to do a shot after each song discussion. How does that sound? Sure, of course. Okay. Because since this episode is dropping on Fat Tuesday, we thought it was a perfect opportunity to discuss some of the biggest party songs of the 80s. The songs all have the word party in the title, and most of them are songs you would definitely hear at a party, or at least on the weekend blast off on Charlie's 80s Attic. We haven't talked about that before. It happens on Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern, coincides with the beginning of the weekend, and it's an hour of fun party music. Yes, always a great start to the weekend. Let's get the highest charting party song out of the way. Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy. You know this song and you probably hate it, but somebody somewhere at some point in time, a lot of somebody somewhere (laughs) liked it because it went all the way to number two in 1985. It was kept out of the top spot by Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie. Now, Joe, you have written here, thank you, Lionel, but I wouldn't thank Lionel Richie for that song at all. (laughs) You prefer Party All the Time to Say You, Say Me? I mean, at the end of the day, yes, I'd rather hear Party All the Time than that one at this point. Over the years, I think I've softened on Say You, Say Me. I think there's a bit of sweetness to it that there's definitely not in Eddie's song. Okay, all right, well. We can disagree, that's fine, totally fine. Yep. The single comes from Eddie Murphy's debut musical album, How Could It Be? Reviews for the single were not great, We thought it would be interesting to check out the issue of Billboard magazine from the week the single was released. And right there in Out of the Box, the column where radio programmers are asked about what songs they are championing, WWIN Baltimore's Stephanie Dunn says she was pleasantly surprised by the album. Since he imitates so many people in his comedy routines, it's great that he doesn't immediately sound like anyone else here. I haven't listened to the whole album, but Party All the Time is basically a Rick James track, Rick James right? Rick yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it is. 
One other single from the album was released, the title track, but it only hit the R&B chart and not the Hot 100. Eddie Murphy did not release another album until 1989's So Happy. Okay, Party All the Time, like, it's kind of one of those songs that it goes in cycles for me. I enjoy it on a very kitsch level. I don't think it's a good song, but I think it's a good thing. Bad song. (laughs) I mean, you know. Sometimes I get sick of it, but then it's like the next time you hear it, it's like, oh, okay, here's this one again. It's fun. I don't have a huge problem with it. It's certainly not one I'm seeking out and listening to, but it's also not a song that I turn off the radio immediately, like some other 80s songs that have really soured for me. I think this is one that I switch off immediately. I've heard it so much over my lifetime, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my older brothers were obsessed with Eddie Murphy, so it kind of was ruined for me even back then. I think it's become a joke over the years. Like, if you go to the Wikipedia page for it, it's all the bad, horrible reviews, the meanest things people have ever said about it. That's why I kind of wanted to go back and look and see if they were all bad. I don't think that they were. And I did want to tell you, Carrie, in that Billboard magazine was also a review of the Double Bill concert, Squeeze and the Hooters. Yes, you mentioned that to me, I think. I did. Oh, I thought I was saving it for the podcast. (laughs) No, you told me and I was like, I would have died. That would have been the perfect concert. And tickets were only $16.50. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to find it now because I just heard this again very recently. Oh, here it is. This is on Wikipedia, citation needed. Oh no. This album by Eddie Murphy was mm-hmm. a $100,000 bet. bet with Richard Pryor that Eddie Murphy could not sing. In the album's liner notes, Eddie Murphy wrote the following, To Richard Pryor, my idol, with whom I have a $100,000 bet. No, mother I didn't forget. Eddie Murphy doesn't have a bad voice, but he's also one of those people that, like, even when he's singing, there's no musicality to his voice. It sounds to me almost like he's just reciting or talking the words with sort of a lilt, if that makes any sense. I mean, you've said the same things about Don Johnson and Jack Wagner, but essentially they ended up just screaming their songs, right? (laughs) Yeah. So at least he's not screaming. I guess you're right about that. Mm. Well, Carrie, it's time to head to Party Town. That's the name of the song from Glenn Frey's debut album, No Fun Allowed. While not officially released as a single... The song made it all the way to number five on the mainstream rock chart, and it was popular enough for St. Louis's biggest rock station, KC95, to create t-shirts with the phrase, I'm going to party town, yeah, yeah, on them. I had that shirt, Carrie, and I lost it. I know, I was going to say, <laughs> did you ever find it? I'm so sorry. I not. I'll look again, right? But let's check out a clip. Carrie, I was able to get my hands on the liner notes for the album, and it's interesting. Glenn Frey wrote a little story about each song on the album. It's actually kind of bizarre. (laughs) Here's what he had to say about the song Party Town. Quote, For all my friends at the Jerome Bar and diehard party people everywhere, hopefully you all know that you can't party all the time, but when you do, 
play this song. By the way, you got any? Oh my god. Can you believe it? Like actively <laughs> To me, he's openly stating we all do cocaine, right? Basically. Oh. <laughs> uh, also in the liner notes, the background vocals are credited to a group called The Monster Tones, and then it goes on to say featuring Buckley Whiteface, Freddie Buffett, Jingles Squirrel Heart, oh. and a bunch of other aliases for I am assuming are his <laughs> coke dealers. And there's one name I left out, Carrie, to save to the very end. That name is Hugh Gottany. This is really out of control. I can't believe that the <laughs> record label, the record label would this. let this happen. Yeah. Right. It's insane. Wow. Okay. All right. Party Town. I have softened on Party Town over the years. This is one that I honestly originally really hated. I don't think I've ever (laughs) heard it before we started listening to The Attic, because it's a staple on The Attic and a staple of the uh, Weekend Blast Off. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it used to really annoy me every time I heard it, but I'm kind of into it. I take it for what it is. I'm not trying to make it anything more than a silly little song about going to party town. And I enjoy it now, I think, when I hear it. It it gives me a little bit of a smile on my face. But this is completely insane, everything that you read about this. I know how you can make that smile bigger. Yeah, exactly. Got any? (laughs) Cocaine. (laughs) Just kidding. We do not condone the usage <laughs> of illegal drugs. Oh, boy. I just Googled this, by the way, and apparently Jerome Barr was in Aspen, Colorado, and it's where the Eagles used to play quite a bit in the early 70s. There you go. That's cute. After that one, I feel like I could party all night long. So let's discuss Where's the Party by Madonna from her True Blue album. This one was not released as a single, but it still received airplay on radio stations in the U.S. Since the True Blue album has since sold around 25 million copies, and at one point, Guinness listed it as the best-selling album by a female, we figured enough people would be familiar with it to discuss it today. Written and produced by Madonna and her longtime collaborators Stephen Bray and Patrick Leonard, Madonna once explained that the song was her way of saying that even though she felt the weight of the world on her shoulders at the time, being under constant scrutiny from the press, she shouldn't let it get to her, and life was also about having fun. What a very good point. I agree. Sure. <laughs> I agree, but it's kind of funny to me what album was Papa Don't Preach from? Was that from True this Blue? One. Okay. Yeah. I was like, well, she never really sang about serious stuff. All the big songs I think about when I think about her are Our party, party songs. songs. So I'm kind yeah. of like, all right, well, this wasn't really a departure, but I get what she's saying about what she was going through. Again, I want to hear Angel. I want to hear, you know, Material Girl. I don't ever want to hear this one. Oh, really? I like this one. There's something about the bridge I like. I think it's constructed very interestingly. I do remember hearing this played on the radio 
she was like the biggest act in the world. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, stations were playing anything they could. Whatever they could, right? Yeah, I had to go back and listen to True Blue front to back to see, like, do I remember even all the, like, you know, non-singles? I really did. I think it really is a good album. Every time we talk about True Blue now, I remember that my mom told me, like, at one point, she's like, I used to walk to the True Blue cassette. <laughs> and I was like, okay, mom. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. I like that. Yeah. Um, Where's the Party was definitely one of my favorite non-singles, but at the very end, she does that whining baby yeah. voice. And even as a kid, I was like, the hell is this? <laughs> embarrassing yeah i don't like that part at all especially when it fades out with she's going uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much moving on here is a name that the audience might be unfamiliar with joe carrasco who is known as the king of tex-mex rock and roll he got that title after growing up in texas and spending time on the beaches of mexico falling in love with the music he was hearing there and then forming a band in high school He eventually formed Joe King, Carrasco, and the Crowns, and they released the single Party Weekend, then got signed to the legendary Stiff Records, home of Elvis Costello, Nick Lowe, and Madness. Here's a clip of Party Weekend. Those of you that had MTV from the very beginning may remember when Joe King Carrasco redid that song as Party Christmas, and the video took place at a Christmas celebration in the MTV studio with appearances from the VJs. Carrasco released a slew of albums over the years, and he has since relocated to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And when he's not touring, you can find him performing at the Tex-Mex restaurant slash club called Nacho Daddy. He says that he likes to perform there while the patrons are drinking the magic-flavored margaritas so he can transport them to a place where the party weekend lasts forever. I think that's cute. I want to know what the magic flavor of the margarita is. Uh, Well, I think I might be able to help with that at some point. I looked this up on Google Maps, and we were just in Puerto Vallarta, and we ate dinner a block away from this place. Oh my gosh. I know. I can't believe my dumb luck, right? (laughs) And then Dave put a note in the outline. He says, we are definitely going to try these magic-flavored margaritas next year. Well, I can't wait to get a review of them. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy information. I've never known anything about this guy, even though Party Weekend is, again, another staple on the attic and a song that I've come to know. But Party Weekend, I have not softened on it. You have not? No. It's not a fave? It's a fave for me. I hate it. (laughs) You do? And then you must hate Party Christmas. Yeah, I don't know that I know the difference. It's the same exact song, right? It's just different lyrics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't stand that. It just, it drives me nuts. I just don't like it. I like it. But this guy sounds like fun, though. Yeah, he sounds great. I love him. I think I'm just more of a party animal than you are, Carrie. (laughs) You're right, Joe, honestly. (laughs) I'd be interested to hear other songs by him. 
Yeah, I meant to. Yeah, I forgot because I was partying too much with Hugh got me. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've got everyone in the U.S. and Mexico partying, let's kick it up a notch and talk about a world dance party. That's the name of the song from Massachusetts rock band The Fools, a band best known for their tongue-in-cheek originals, covers, and parodies. In 1979, they released a parody of the Talking Heads' Psycho Killer. Theirs was called Psycho Chicken, and it brought them local success. Their first single for record label EMI actually charted on the Hot 100 at number 67, called It's a Night for Beautiful Girls. They released World Dance Party in 1985, and the video received airplay on MTV. describe a giant dance party where all countries are invited to drink and dance their cares away. The video, it's actually not as problematic as you might think, but halfway through the song, lead singer Mike Gerard does instruct everyone to remove their clothes and then he's naked for the rest of the video. <laughs> Sounds problematic to me. The Fools are still recording, at least according to some undated blog posts on their website. Who really knows? All right, World Dance Party, Joe, when you sent it to me, this one is not on Apple Music. You gave me a thumbs down. So here's what I got to tell you. You sent me the playlist, but this wasn't on it, so you had to send me a separate YouTube link, and I did thumbs down it. But then after the fact, I realized I was confusing this with Party Weekend. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what? I was going to say, when you were talking about Party Weekend, the song, every time I think of Party Weekend or Party Christmas... The song World Dance Party enters my brain, and that's the song I think of, and I have to train my brain to be like, no, that's not it. Yeah, because I liked World Dance Party. World Dance Party is a good one. (laughs) Yay! Yay! I love it. I think it's so fun. I realized I smile every time I listen to it. And I actually did watch the video. It's fun. It's not problematic. It's just all in good fun, and it's silly. I can just imagine this one being all over MTV. Yeah, it should have been. I think it's so cute. And yeah, I mean, I probably watched the video when I realized what they were doing at first and having all these different countries represented by different people. I kind of watched it like you're watching a horror movie (laughs) through your fingers, just waiting. Mm -hmm. But the general idea is very nice. I would say the countries are portrayed in kind of stereotypes, but not in like a mean or demeaning way. I do like, at the end of the day, the whole idea behind the song, too, which is, hey, everyone, let's just get together and party, put aside our differences. Mm -hmm. I'm into that. Absolutely. We'll put this video on the Facebook page and people can give their opinions. Okay. I don't think we've ever gone in on Oingo Boingo. That's true. I need to dig into them. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, we are discussing their song, Dead Man's Party, which was also the name of their fifth album. Boingo Boingo were hugely popular in California, but never quite got big on a national level, despite placement on some of the bigger soundtracks of the 80s, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Beverly Hills Cop, and Ghostbusters 2. 
Of course, they also did the song Weird Science, which was their biggest hit on the Hot 100, peaking at number 45. Dead Man's Party was also on the soundtrack to Back to School, and the band appeared in the movie playing the song during a rager. The lyrics are actually about a man dressed up for his funeral, and the lyrics about a shiny silver dollar on either eye refer to the method of placing a coin over the eyes of the dead to keep their eyelids shut. Dead Man's Party is the band's most streamed song on Apple Music and Spotify, and Danny Elfman performed it recently at the Coachella Music Festival in April 2022. Before we get into this, did you ever watch any clips or anything of Danny Elfman performed Nightmare Before Christmas? He like performed it live with Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, with like Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, I didn't see any though. I didn't either. I'm not a big fan of that movie. I saw it and it was fine, but I guess some people are really into it. <laughs> I mean, people are really into it, yeah, for (laughs) sure. I agree with you. I'm not one of those people. But Danny Elfman in general, I'm very happy is having sort of a mini renaissance. I do enjoy Oingo Boingo a lot. I do too, and it surprises me. I really didn't know any songs as a kid or growing Mm -hmm. up, except maybe Weird Science. Yeah. What do you think of Dead Man's Party? I like it. I think the first time I realized that it was a song by them, there's a Buffy episode titled oh, Dead yes, Man's that's Party. Oh, true. Yeah. I can't remember if the song is actually in it. I think I had one of those episode guide books, mm. and it probably mentioned that they got the name from the song, and then I went out and listened to it. I like this one. It's not my favorite Oingo Boingo song, but I like it. It's not my favorite either. I think it's a little bit indulgent. It goes on a little bit too long, but I do enjoy it. There are better Oingo Boingo songs, and I'll have to bring some of those to the pod in the future. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, listening to this one, I was like, I can't wait until we talk about some other ones. But I think we're in the minority because it's their most popular song like all over. Yeah, I can't believe they appeared in Back to School. That seems like something they would not be interested in doing. You know, they were sort of like outside the mainstream, but I'm sure they got a lot of money. (laughs) We'll get this, sis. Remember how we encountered those This Bud's For You songs, jingles that rock bands did in the 80s? They did one on TV where they made their own This Bud's For You song, and Danny Elfman is yucking it up, and it's, I mean, he's being weird in it, which I appreciate, but you think they wouldn't be in Back to School while they were in a Budweiser commercial? Wow. I find that insane, but again, Mm -hmm. get that coin, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Up next, from the 1980 album Wild Planet, it's the song Party Out of Bounds by the B-52s. It's a song about a party that goes south quickly, with the members of the band giving suggestions on how to turn it around. And these suggestions include playing parcheesi or charades, or holding an impromptu scavenger hunt. The song made it to the Hot Dance Club play chart, back when multiple tracks from an album could comprise a single entry and peaked at number five. What was that called, Carrie? Like, number five, all tracks. Yeah, basically. (laughs) 
The song was also featured on 1981's Party Mix, which included six songs from the first two albums, which were remixed and sequenced to form two long tracks, one on side A and one on side B, which begs the question, Carrie, why don't either of us own this on vinyl yet? I don't know. You know, I think I knew about this vaguely, but you're right. This is definitely one I need to add to like my Discogs want list and order very soon. I think it would be fun to put on for like an actual party. I think you could get away with that, you know, playing the B-52's party mix. Oh, 100%. People would die for it. Yeah. More bands should have done that. (laughs) Yeah. The only one I can think of is Madonna, You Can Dance. Oh, yeah. Yep. But B-52's, you put those two on, you got a party. Yeah, I agree. This song in particular, like, I don't know, it doesn't stand out for me amongst some of the other B-52 songs. Obviously, it's great. You know, any B-52 song is essentially great. But it was kind of one that just sort of faded into the background every time I was listening to it and trying to, like, pay attention to it. I found my mind wandering a little bit. You know, you're right. I am thinking of it in terms of the other songs from them, from that era. Mm -hmm. And I think they're all a little bit more catchy, and this one seems kind of like freeform. Yeah, yeah, to me. that's a good way to describe it. But I guess it. that's not really fair, you know? Next time I listen to it, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm not going to compare it to any of those other songs. But that wig song, I wonder when that's from. I mean, I've heard some crazy ones on The Attic recently. Yeah, we have a lot of deeper hits by them. I enjoy B-52s. I really do want to hear this in the context of this party mix now, because I bet it makes it seem even cooler. Here's what we'll do. You talked about maybe coming to visit sometime soon, so we're going to watch Back to School, and we're going to listen to the (laughs) B-52's party mix. Sounds good. All right, Carrie, guess what? What? That's the end of the party songs segment. Okay. And now, guess what we have prepared next? It is going to be a quiz. Oh my goodness. I knew this was, you told me you were doing this and I completely forgot about it. And I just saw this on the outline. I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) You think you forgot about it? Give me one sec. I got to go get the quiz book that I am using. (laughs) Carrie, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. It's from a book called Quizpedia, the 80s. Okay. And the back says, so you think you know the 80s. I think when I referenced this before, I don't know if it was on the podcast or just we were talking, you thought it was going to be easy. You said these trivia books for the 80s, you feel like you're going to know them. Is that right? Yeah, I always do think that. I think they're written for casual fans, and I would consider you and I both to be obviously much more versed in 80s music than casual fans. I agree. I only looked at a handful of these to see which ones maybe would be appropriate for you. You're going to choose the category. We've got John Hughes movies. In that one, I do think you would get all 10. Okay. Okay. There's 10 for each one. It's 10 questions. Yes. Live Aid. I think you'll get all 10. I thought Live Aid would be more difficult. I'm not as versed in Live Aid. Okay. Let me go with nine then. Okay. (laughs) Movie soundtracks. I think you'll get nine. Okay. Power ballads. I think you'll get nine. (laughs) So... Do you want to take a quiz that you think is going to be a slam dunk, or do you want to try to take one where I think you'll get nine and try to get all ten? How many are we going to do? Just one or two? Yeah, maybe two. Let's see how long one takes. Okay. So yeah, give me one of the ones that you thought I might only get nine, and we'll see. Okay. Movie soundtracks. You ready for this? Yep. What do we have writing on this? It's just my pride. I'm trying to get ten. Pride on the line. Question number one, Carrie. 
What movie is about dealing with a sexist nightmare boss and gave us a song of the same title? Well, see, I'm already flummoxed by this. I'm stumped. Let me just say it again. What movie is about dealing with a sexist nightmare boss and gave us a song of the same title? I was thinking that the title of the song was about the sexist nightmare boss, but I think this is about the movie 9 to 5. Yes, it is. Okay, got it. Number two, the soundtrack to an opera set in space, Flash Gordon, features music from which band? Well, this is Queen. Yes. That's funny. I was just thinking about how we talked about Love Kills last week, which probably could have been on the Flash Gordon soundtrack, right. too. That was Metropolis, right? Yeah. Number three, what song is playing as we see Bender fist pump the air at the end of The Breakfast Club? Aw, uh, Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Yep. Number four, Starship's Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now is from which movie starring Kim Cattrall? Mannequin. Yes. Which that one just showed up again on HBO Max, I think. Ooh, I know that's one everyone has that. to watch. What highway did Kenny Loggins write about for the movie Top Gun? Uh, the highway to the danger zone. Yeah, that's a weird that question. Is a weird- I'm sorry. <laughs> Number six, what movie and song of the same name is about a dance-loving welder? Flashdance. Yeah. Number seven, Ray Charles sings Shake Your Tail Feather in which movie? Oh, boy. Now, this is the one I hope you thought I wouldn't get because I know I know it. I know I've heard it before, and when you say it, I'm going to remember, but I feel like it was a movie that was set in, like, the 60s or something. I'm going to say Dirty Dancing. I don't think that's right. It is the Blues Brothers. And that was the question I thought you would get wrong. Good. I'm glad because I hate the Blues Brothers. (laughs) I do too. Number eight, the soundtrack and companion audiobook to which movie was voiced by Michael Jackson and produced by Quincy Jones? Uh, Read that one more time. The soundtrack and companion audiobook to which movie was voiced by Michael Jackson and produced by Quincy Jones. Uh, I think this is E.T. Yes, which I learned from your Soundtrack Saturday special. Yeah, yeah. That's not really about a soundtrack, though. I don't think there was an actual soundtrack. There was one song. Yeah, that's confusing. I don't like this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Number nine, ABBA's Benny and Bjorn wrote the musical Chess, including a hit song about which city? Bangkok. Yes. Finally, David Bowie starred in and provided the soundtrack for which fantasy movie? Labyrinth. Yes. Did you recently watch Labyrinth? Yeah. Did we ever talk about it? You hated it. You hated it. (laughs) I didn't hate it. I just was confused by it. I was confused about why people love it so much. It was fine, but I expected it to be better. (sighs) Well, it wasn't, Carrie. Can we move on to the next quiz? I think we're going to do Live Aid. Okay. You ready? She ready. She ready. Number one, on what date was Live Aid held? Oh, crumbs. I only remember this because it's my sister's birthday, July 13th, 1985. Ding, 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 (laughs) ding, ding. Which two venues held the two simultaneous concerts? Wow. Well, I mean, I know the cities. What were the venues? Well, I know for sure it was JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess I think it must have been Wembley Arena in London. It's Wembley Stadium, Wembley though, Stadium. Casey. You don't get Sorry. the point. <laughs> I'm kidding. You get the point. You get the point. What was the name of the charity single, the precursor to Live Aid, 
organized by Bob Geldof and Midge Yur and sold under the name Band-Aid. Do they know it's Christmas? Yep. What was the name of the American counterpart to Band-Aid and the single they released shortly afterwards? USA for Africa slash We Are the World. Correct. Which actor hosted the U.S. concert? Oh my goodness. I think we talked about this when we covered Live Aid. I think it was Jack Nicholson. It was, yes. Oh, jeez. What harrowing world event was Live Aid in response to? The Ethiopian famine. Yes. Which performer appeared at both the U.K. and U.S. concerts? And they have a lot more description here after that, but I think I can just stop there for you. <laughs> yeah, Phil Collins. Traveling by both helicopter and Concord to do so. Number eight. Ooh. Ooh. How many songs did Queen play in their now iconic set? Oh, boy. I mean, see, that's like, why would you remember that? Right, yeah. Most people only played like three I think Queen played a little bit of a longer set. I'm going to say five. Oh, Carrie, so close it was six. Oh, jeez. Which music icon followed Queen's set, playing four songs, including the song TVC 15? TVC 15? Yes, that's the name of one of the songs this performer and icon performed. I don't know. Um, I don't know that song. I'm trying to honestly think about that stupid-ass movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, and think (laughs) if they portrayed who came on after Queen. I'm going to guess David Bowie. You're absolutely right. Yay. Yes. And finally, the royal salute was played as a nod to which royals that were in attendance? Um, Well, Charles and Di were there, I think. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. That was good. You got nine. Those are difficult, though. I mean, we did a whole episode on Live Aid. If you had asked me those before we did that episode, I wouldn't have known half of them. I know. And I feel the same way. Yeah. So I do think this book is a little bit more difficult than I thought it would be. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't give you like, so you think you know science? (laughs) So you think you know action (laughs) movies? Shoes. Oh, this is about the 80s in general? I thought this was just 80s music. Oh. So you think you know books for adults? Nope, I never claimed that. (laughs) I do not think I know books for adults. Here's a quiz all about the WWF. Oh, boy. I might actually know. I used to watch the WWF back in the day. I did, too. Yeah. Well, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think you did really good. We'll have to do the John Hughes ones offline, because I'll just breeze through those i know they're easy for you that's all we got carrie i only did four shots through this episode (laughs) i don't know how many you did oh i'm up to like what is it six or seven now Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the only reason i missed those questions on the quiz sure says well i'll meet you at the jerome bar yep i'm bringing hugh (laughs) oh god next week joe It's going to drop on February 28th, and so to celebrate the end of the shortest month, we're going to talk about the shortest songs to hit the Hot 100 in the 80s. Oh, I love it. Short and sweet. (laughs) Exactly. Anything else for this week? Nope. I think that will about do it. All right. Well, it's your turn to take us out, I think. Folks, it's a crazy world out there. The best thing you can do is just be kind. Whether that's to yourself or to others or to animals or plants, it's not that hard. Just be kind. Yes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. 
Buzz